0: Welcome to Dear Hank and John.
1: Or as we're calling it this week, Dear John and Sarah.
0: It's a podcast where two brothers, or in this case, two married people, give you advice, answer your questions, and provide you with all the week's news from both AFC Wimbledon and, let's be realistic, probably not Mars. I am joined by my lovely spouse, Sarah Eurist green Hello, Sarah. Hello, John. How are you?
1: I'm great. How are you? I'm
0: tired, and I feel like I'm getting a lot of flack for being tired over the last 24 hours. We have a significant amount of jet lag, and I am the only person in the family who is feeling it, but it is still real.
1: You are quite dramatic about it.
0: I am really tired.
1: Well, I, I told you that I have a uh, a relationship change with jet lag ever since I became a mother and had to experience the many, many months of um, uh, sleep deprivation that comes with being a new mother. Oh,
0: there's a lot of sleep deprivation? You never mentioned that.
1: (laughs) Um, I was super whiny then, for good reason, I believe. Um, But ever since then, jet lag is sort of like funny to me.
0: (laughs) Because it's it's such a minor problem.
1: Well, and you adjust. It's real. It's just that it ends.
0: Right. (laughs) You do adjust. I think the issue for me is that I had not meaningfully changed time zones in two and a half years. Mm, Okay. And then I did. All right. And I think my 44-year-old body is having a difficult time with it. So, listen, we just had a 30-hour travel adventure. We did. And it was not that fun.
1: I, I, I watched some new movies.
0: But... We have a strict policy in our family of never complaining about bad travel experiences because the only thing more boring than other people's dreams is other people's travel problems. That's
1: right. And also, it was such a joy to travel that-
0: It was. It
1: was worth it.
0: It was. That's a great point. There's a couple things I want to bring up before we answer some questions. Okay. First, and most importantly, Hank and I have not made an episode of Dear Hank and John together- In I don't know how long. And it was occurring to me recently that it could be that we're, like, hiding a feud. That he and I Mm. are, like, having a huge argument. Like
1: you had a falling out. Yes.
0: And Mm. everything is collapsing like a sort of brotherly divorce.
1: That doesn't seem very likely, though.
0: Well, but, like... That's. Wouldn't this be how we would handle it? Like, oh, Hank's doing an episode with Roman Mars. I'm doing an episode with Sarah. Like, we're not collaborating. I missed the most recent now, Dear Hank and John Patreon live stream because of jet lag.
1: Now, did you think of this theory, or yeah. did somebody else? No,
0: I just thought of it this morning. I was like, what if people are worried that Hank and I had a huge falling out?
1: Well, let's um, let's ease everyone's minds. Yeah, they're fine.
0: Yeah, we're just busy.
1: Just like any people in a relationship, sometimes they need some time apart.
0: Whoa, <laughs> what <laughs> is that becoming? Everything—the whole tone of this thing just shifted big
1: time. I—that I was seriously talking about other people, not us. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, that's what this podcast is about, other people's problems.
0: Right. That's true. I'm just saying that Hank and I are getting along great. And as far as I knew, you and I were getting along great until 30 seconds ago. We are.
1: All is well (laughs) in the House of Green.
0: (laughs) Sarah, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was... I would like to propose that we do a podcast the way that Hank and Catherine have deleted this. Uh-huh. And I, have, I have two concepts.
1: Okay. I thought we already had a hit podcast. We do have John. a hit podcast.
0: That's a great point. What's it called?
1: It's called Like Letters.
0: And what's it about?
1: Well, we only release it once a year.
0: That is the big problem with our hit
1: podcast. <laughs> and it's a perk uh, for donating to the Project for Awesome. Yeah. And it, it's when we read our early email correspondence to each other and laugh and cringe and talk about it.
0: That's right. Now, my, my, one of my proposals is, in fact, to make Like Letters a more regular podcast. So that instead of coming out once a year, it perhaps comes out once a quarter.
1: Mm, what's and your other idea?
0: You don't like that one?
1: I'm, I'll consider it.
0: My other idea is we make a podcast about visual art mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you can't see as the podcast listener.
1: Right. Well, that's the nature of the game, except you could go look at it online.
0: Right, you could, but I kind of like the idea of talking about a work of art without being able to see it. Like, it's just a different kind of engagement.
1: Right, right. Or like, we could we could describe it.
0: Yeah, or try to describe it. Right. Like, you want to try it? Right now? Yeah. Okay. What's the best work of art you've seen in person recently? That's not in our house. Those don't count. I mean, I'm looking at a really good painting right now, but it's in the house.
1: <laughs> okay. I saw this amazing installation um by Shu Bing. Yeah. Uh, trash in the back. Trash in the back.
0: It had trash in the back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> trash in the back. Beautiful landscape in the front. Yeah. And it was basically a giant light box, yeah. Um, that from, from the beginning of the room, you you walk in and you see what looks sort of like a traditional Chinese landscape painting. Uh, but then you realize it's a light box, and then you walk around back of it and you see that, it's actually a bunch of trash.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> and, bubble wrap and, but and plastic leaves bags. Leaves, and, little ferns um, that have been uh, placed right. right up against the light box to become some of the trees in the landscape painting. Right,
1: and uh, it was just both beautiful and yeah. also thought-provoking, and um, I spent a long time with it, and yeah. I was just reminded of how much in-person art experience matters.
0: Yeah. Well, because when you walk up to it, you think you're looking at one very specific kind of work, right? Like a traditional landscape Mm -hmm. painting. um, And then you walk around the back of it and you're like, oh, wow, this is something completely different. This was made out of, largely out of like trash and discarded items.
1: That's right. And I think like, especially now, art has to make an argument for its physical existence. Right. You know, like that is an experience that even in uh, VR wouldn't Mm -hmm. be that good. Right. You know, you got to be able to sense light changes. You got to be able to see depth. Right. And and like feel what it's like to walk around the room Mm -hmm. um, and see something from different angles. Yes, I realize it's sort of VR, but it's just not the... It's not.
0: It's very hard to make that token non-fungible. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I also loved that work. That was one of the highlights of our entire vacation, actually, was getting Mm -hmm. to see that one piece of art and the the just complete surprise of walking around the back of it and seeing that it was made out of, like, bubble wrap and discarded blue plastic bags from Walmart or whatever.
1: Yes. So, bravo, Shubing.
0: Good work. Uh, That's our podcast. It's (laughs) called...
1: We're going to call it, Street. for the time being, untitled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and
0: right. oh, but it has to be untitled with those uh Untitled
1: brackets. podcast. Be- I bet I'm sure that exists.
0: Oh, you know what was the best work of art I saw recently? What? Sorry, we will get to questions from our listeners. The best work of art I saw recently wasn't a work of art. It was a wall label. Okay. And instead of saying what wall labels always say about artists in, you know, uh, and uh but instead of saying what wall labels always say about artists in ancient Egypt or in Africa or in the Islamic world or whatever, it always says anonymous.
1: Or artist unknown. Or
0: artist unknown. And what this wall label said was artist once known. Right. To emphasize the fact that it was a kind of failure of the way that we imagined history.
1: Or record
0: history. Or recorded history.
1: Uh, or a failure of the way such an object came to be part of its current collection. Absolutely. Perhaps it was stolen. Right. Right.
0: Right. And so it would be inconvenient to know the artist's name because then there would be a set of obligations to that artist Mm -hmm. that you don't have if you say it's just anonymous or unknown. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yes, that was lovely. Uh, How about we get to some other people's questions?
0: It's a good idea, but I want to go a little further into this art podcast. What are we going to call it?
1: Let me let me mull it over while we answer questions.
0: This first question comes from Liz, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how are art eras named? Like art that was made in recent times is usually referred to as contemporary or modern. Oh, oh, Liz, you have just opened a a whole can of worms. Well,
1: let's complete the question. Both
0: of which just boil down to mean current. Wasn't all art and music contemporary when it was made? When will our current era stop being contemporary? And most importantly, in the distant future, what will historians call the era wherein now? Landscapes and leitmotifs motifs?
1: This is a great question. Great question. Um, And I think we can get into some terminology in a little more detail in a little bit, but I'd like to actually answer the question first. Yeah. Um, Which is that, yes, all art was once contemporary. All art was once new. And uh, not all movements have been um, named while they exist. A lot of history, I mean, and not just art history, but history, history happens in retrospect. You know, we don't- Notice trends, we don't realize an era um, until it's over or perhaps long over. Um, And you know, when you study art history and you think about so so called contemporary art, which for museums is often like 1960s Mm. to today. but but not always sometimes it's newer you know cuz 19 the 1960s have kind of solidified somewhat into um, Pop types.
0: Art and different minimalism.
1: Right. But um, so, you know, uh, contemporary art I generally think of as art being made like in the recent past, and you define recent. But since the 1960s, there hasn't been very clear movements. Um, and some movements are movements because a group of artists came together and was like, we are Dada. <laughs> we right. are Dada is, and we are a finite group. But that doesn't really happen now. Um, you don't really see artists getting together and being like, we are going to do this one thing and we are all going to go in this one direction. So it's not. Sometimes um,
0: you see artists all going in one direction like Harry. And I knew. Zayn and I knew. I knew that they was coming. It. I knew. But they couldn't do it forever. So that's a great point. <laughs> You know, eventually.
1: So it's history that decides. They had to go in five directions. It's actually you um, as part of that um, history making, because if you go out and see a bunch of art and you write a tweet, or let's say, or make a TikTok that's like, hey, you know, I went to see all the art in New York City today, and I've decided that this is the movement that is happening. This is the prevailing trend amongst all of this wild and crazy art that I saw. And then you name it. You know, like maybe it's the banana movement or whatever. And like, and if enough people get behind you and was like, this is the bananas movement, Mm -hmm. then, uh, then, then it might be recorded as such eventually. But, you know, it's different. Sometimes, like, it's like, um, if you think back about uh, a lot of the art that was popular, say, in the 1990s, a lot of it now we think of as being about identity politics, Mm -hmm. okay? So, like, but that wasn't something that sort of happened all of a sudden. Right. It was something that began to be happened and began to be noticed, and then, like, later, bang, that's what the 90s was.
0: Yeah, this is very similar to the way that we talk about eras in history or the way that we talk about generations, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do generations get names and get defined is actually really often quite complicated and it, it involves a lot of uh, guesswork. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I always thought that Hank was Gen X, but it turns out he's elder millennial. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, not because Hank changed, but because sort of our understanding of generations. I actually, changed. I
1: actually think Hank. I I am like Hank is just we're about the same age. Yeah, you're like six we're, months apart. We're like six months apart, but 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 I think I'm I'm Gen X. Yeah, I'm like baby Gen X. Yeah. And he—he's elder millennial. Yeah, but that's I'm mostly. On the cusp. I would—I
0: would argue. <laughs> I would argue that's mostly because of your vibes. <laughs> like I would argue that if Hank had your personality, he would be elder Gen X. I mean, baby Gen X. And if you had Hank's personality, you would be elder millennial. I actually don't. Agree. I'm trying
1: it's, not to be insulted here.
0: It's good. I think <laughs> I, I'm super glad I didn't marry a millennial. Aren't you? <laughs> Nothing against all the millennial listeners out there. You seem lovely.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so I think Liz- Geez,
0: John, the, way to alienate 80% yeah, of your good audience. Job,
1: good job, <laughs> Um. Uh, so Liz, the only other thing that um, I will add is that the term modern when it comes to art, like you are definitely using it um, correctly, because anything modern, as we know, is sort of fresh and new. Mm-hmm. Um, but mo- when you say modern art, that actually refers to a specific span of time Um that aligns with like the modernization of cities, industrialization, um, the industrial revolution, like it, from like the 18, let's say 1850 to mm-hmm. 1950. OK, like that's a long span of time. Yeah. But as cities changed, as like culture moved from being more um, uh, rural to urban, uh, more artists were gathering in cities, cities. Uh, Art changed a lot while cities changed a lot. And so, like, in general, we went from, say, like, more academic, realistic-style painting to um, crazy art, <laughs> more abstract art, yeah. trying new materials. So, like, that, um, there is a uh, an era called modernism right. in art and different countries, different parts of the world had different modernisms, had sure. like modern art in different places. But um, so th- when when modern art is used, that's what it means. Something you didn't want to know. Sorry. But
0: that is really, I, I think that's really important because a lot of people say, say modern art is a way of saying contemporary art and there is a distinction. Or
1: abstract art.
0: Right. And there is a distinction. Modernism was not just an artistic phenomenon. It was a really broad Right. Historical phenomenon. I mean, the example of it that I always use is that in 1800, globally, over 95 percent of people lived on farms, and in 1950, globally, fewer than 50 percent did. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and that shift was really dramatic because the Industrial Revolution radically reshaped the human story. Like,
1: right. So, of course, it changed art.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. the Columbian Exchange did before it, like the Agricultural Revolution, which wasn't really like an event, but that also changed things. Uh, and so these, these big seismic shifts in the way humans organize themselves are always reflected in our artistic traditions.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and also, when you say modern art... You, we all know what you mean. So yeah. even if even if you're not referring to like that time period of art, most people know anyway.
0: You know, my favorite historical example of this, Sarah? What? The way that I think about it is that in 1914, we thought that we were in a period called the Great War. Right. And then later we realized that we were in a period called World War I. And right now, a lot of people are talking about World War Three which I think is very presumptuous. First off, I, I hope we can avoid any kind of World War III. But secondly, I'm not entirely confident that there if there is some kind of like globally involved conflict, that it will be called or known as World War III. We don't know. Right. We don't get to name that stuff.
1: Somebody it, does.
0: Yeah, but it gets named, it most, almost always gets named after us, because as Stan Muller likes to say, when you're living in the middle of history, you simply do not know what it means.
1: Right. There you go, Liz. All right,
0: we have another question, Sarah. This one's from Griffin, who writes Dear John and Hank, I'm a creative writing student, and I was recently published in the local library's literary arts scene. It's a lovely project that they've put together, but I can't help but feel that I either don't deserve it or that it's such a small accomplishment that I shouldn't even care about it. How should I feel about this? Obviously, I shouldn't feel like it's meaningless. Otherwise, why did I submit the piece in the first place? But I can't help but feel that it's stupid. I haven't told anyone except for a few other students because I don't know how to feel. Ashamed of sharing my work, perhaps? How do I get past this melancholy? Wish I had teenage angst to blame these feelings on. Griffin.
1: Oh, Griffin. Griffin.
0: I remember this feeling. I mean, I still get this feeling to an extent, but I don't, I I read this question and I was like, I want to talk to Sarah about this because I don't know if you get this feeling, but can I describe it to you?
1: Sure. I mean, I think Griffin has, but let's hear, let's hear another angle.
0: Here's my experience of it. Like, I remember the first time I was on NPR, like the, like nationally, Mm -hmm. um, I'd written this like one minute, 40 second long, um, commentary, And this was after years and years of writing for the Chicago-based NPR station, Mm -hmm. but only people in Chicago would hear that. Mm -hmm. This was a national thing, and it was a really, really big deal, big deal to me. Um, But I also had this feeling the first time I was published in Booklist, the first time I, you know, had experiences like Griffin's having here where Mm -hmm. I published something— I would have this feeling where I would be really excited about it and really proud that it got included or that it got chosen or whatever. And then it would air or get published. And like within 15 seconds, I would feel this, what Griffin describes as a melancholy.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I would feel like, oh, well, that was disappointing. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not
0: very good. That's not a big deal. It right. doesn't really change anything. Right. And I remember after that first NPR commentary, I just like sat in my chair in my basement and I was like, well, I, I mean, I made
1: $40. <laughs> well, I mean, so what, what I think is interesting here is like, I'm feeling this impulse to minimize yeah. accomplishments, yeah. which I think is very natural. You know, like I think Um, We may be internally proud of something, but when someone else brings it up, uh, all of a sudden, you hear you you hear it through their voice, and all of a sudden, you feel stupid, right? <laughs> or like it's really small. This definitely happens to me. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's it can be hard to have someone else know about something. It's it's a it's a vulnerability. Feeling mm-hmm. proud, mm-hmm. I yeah,
0: think. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that Avid Brothers song. Um, I want to have pride like my mama had, and not like the kind in of the Bible that turns you bad.
1: Right. Like, like how do you wh- how do you straddle that feeling of accomplishment mm-hmm. without making it pompous or being braggy?
0: But at the but I don't I don't know that that impulse to minimize is about not wanting to be braggy. I think it's about like feeling really insecure mm-hmm. because there because it is a moment of vulnerability, mm-hmm. like being proud of an accomplishment or being happy that you did something is a real moment of vulnerability because you know someone can come along at any moment and say it's not that big of a deal. People graduate from college all the time. Mm -hmm. All kinds of people get Mm -hmm. published in your library's literary zine. Every accomplishment can be minimized like that. And so maybe it's that, maybe it's that, like, self-protective feeling of, like, well, I know that there are people who might easily undermine this or might easily point out that it wasn't that difficult. To me, the the, the real judge of it is, was it difficult for you? And d- did you, I mean, I... Or so not like, even I,
1: difficult, but, like, is it meaningful for you? Is
0: it meaningful for you? That's much better. It
1: doesn't have to be difficult, I don't think, right. for it to be meaningful.
0: Right. But what Griffin did was both difficult and meaningful. It's difficult to submit your work for publication. It's mm-hmm. scary. There's a huge, not just a huge chance of rejection, there's the very likelihood of rejection. And... Uh, and also, it was meaningful. It right. Was something that, that they wrote that they care about. So, like, to me, that is an inherently vulnerable thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this also reminds me of, like, you and I over the years, like, when we've had small accomplishments or large, we've tried to celebrate them. Yes. And it is easier to do it together, I feel. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, when John and I were earlier in our careers, and like something seemingly little would happen, we would buy a bottle of champagne. You know, yeah. like a like our favorite um, nine ninety nine fresh and a brut. You know, which I really recommend. This is not a plug. No, it's a
0: really it's this not is, sponsored. This is it's not really sponsored. good. <laughs> I, if they do want, if Fresh-N-A wanted Fresh-N-A, to sponsor us, we yeah. would de- I, I want zero dollars and all the champagne. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I guess you can't call it champagne because it's definitely not from Champagne. No,
1: I think it's technically Cava, but it is very good. Anyway,
0: so, but we, but
1: actually we got to a point where we were like, I think we're celebrating too many things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like as you, especially as your star continued to rise. Um, But, uh, but we still think it's important to do. And like one, one thought I had um, while you were explaining your predicament, Griffin is like, you know, the you, you might even maybe you can't now, but like with this zine, for example, like what if you had had hosted a gathering for everyone who was in the zine,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, That's and like the library. Uh, should have done that, but yeah. Well, but yeah, or, host but, a gathering, but, but even a, even
1: if you said like you sent out sent out a message to everybody yeah. like I know this zine comes out every whatever, um, let's gather um, to you know break bread, <laughs> share a drink yeah. to celebrate it, and that way like everybody's sort of on the same plane, and you yeah. know that might be fun. I think
0: that's a great idea. Finding ways to celebrate. Even accomplishments that might feel small to you is a really, for us anyway, like in our in our lives, we've experienced this, that that's a way to get past that urge to minimize the accomplishment. That's exactly what I was going to say, too, is like what the reason that those the reason that I felt this like really profound sadness after, you know, my first book came out after the first NPR times, all that stuff was because I was just alone Mm -hmm. and I wasn't celebrating it. I was just kind of ruminating on How it wasn't that big of a deal,
1: right? Well, I, I I do think that there's a way to acknowledge or celebrate accomplishments on your own as well. For sure. I mean, like something that you and I have started to do in the past, like five years, is write sort of uh, two letters to ourselves at the end of a year. For the first one, is about kind of making a summary of things that happened in the year past, and then make another letter that's sort of about what what you want um, for the year ahead and for me, it's always a great thing to be like, you know, okay, maybe there were five or six small, quote unquote, stupid things that like on their own, I wanted to minimize. But when I looked at them together mm-hmm. is suddenly it's a life, you know, it's, yeah. it's a career. It's something to be proud of.
0: I'm doing work and I'm yeah, yeah, participating in the world and taking care of a family. And, and
1: it's an additive process. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah, absolutely. So
1: Keep we at it, Griffin.
0: Keep at it. And we hope you can find a way to celebrate this very real accomplishment because it is real. Yes. This next question comes from Abby, Sarah, who mm-hmm. writes Dear John and Hank. When I was in high school like 10 years ago, this is maybe the best question we've ever received. Okay. I have a, I have an issue like this, too. I think you might. As
1: well. I'm excited.
0: When I was in high school like 10 years ago, I had to come up with a sculpture theme for my art final and I panicked and I chose gnomes.
1: Yes. <laughs> That's great.
0: It became a running joke, and now my family and friends won't stop giving me gnomes. I think it's time to move on from this collection. What do I do with 50 gnomes, and how do I stop acquiring new gnomes? Do I just commit to the bit for the rest of my life? Where do I gnome from here, (laughs) Abby?
1: Abby, (laughs) this is really just a wonderful (laughs) question, and I thank you for putting it out into the universe.
0: Oh, it's like when you're... Like, say, 14, and you're an extremely toxic presence in your parents' lives, and one day—I'm not speaking from experience, but sure. one day your mom makes you spaghetti, and you're like, Mom, this is really good spaghetti, and that's the only nice thing she's heard you say in, like, 18 <laughs> yeah. months. yeah. And so thereafter, she concludes that spaghetti is your favorite food, even though as it happens, you don't actually like spaghetti. You were just in a good mood that day. Right. And you you get fed spaghetti for like 30 years before finally you confess to your mother via a podcast that actually you've just never been that into spaghetti.
1: Right, right. <laughs> I think, you know, I I think we all have this to a certain extent. And if you've ever started collecting anything, I think the people in your life who love you and or give you things are always excited to learn of a thing you like. Oh, because it solves Um, a huge problem. Oh, John loves pigs. I'm going to give yes. him everything pig themed I can find. And, and that, then and, and even it, if you don't like it anymore. Yeah,
0: because it's because it solves the problem for the gifter. That's what right. this is really about. The gnomes are not about you, Abby. <laughs> they are about the people and giving you gnomes. Because
1: you know, it brings them so much joy. I know to yes. give give you gnomes. It and does. I think um
0: and they're like, they see a gnome on vacation and they're like, this is perfect. You know, right. Abby
1: loves, loves gnomes. gnomes. And then, and even, <laughs> I think at this point, they probably know that you're not excited about gnomes anymore. Yeah. And that it's something you feel a little bit of embarrassment about, um, which almost makes it better for them, especially yes. if it's yes. like a sibling kind totally. of relationship. Totally, Um, Because even if you declare that gnomes are over over, I don't think it's going to happen. I think, I think it's just, I do think it's something you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. But I think that it's something you can do something about.
0: So here's what I think. I almost always think you should be your authentic self, especially with the people you love. But
1: what if her authentic self is not wanting gnomes anymore?
0: Because sometimes you should not be your authentic self, Sarah. Okay. One of those times is when you are in a period of your life where you don't love the gnomes. (laughs) Stay with me here for a second. Okay. I think the gnome thing for Abby is going to be a sine wave. Mm. I think there are going to be periods like now where Abby is like, this is ridiculous. I never liked gnomes. Mm Mm-hmm. I panicked once in high school and became a gnome person. Yes. But then I think there are also going to be periods where Abby's like, this is hilarious. Yes. I have one of the largest collections of gnomes in the world. Right. And I think that going
1: through that cycle. Sine wave. of of, That sine
0: wave occasionally means that you can't fully be your authentic self, but you're not. The only reason you're not being your full authentic self, Abby, is because you know there will be another peak where you are like, just Mm -hmm. kidding. This is hilarious. I cannot believe that this happened to me.
1: Okay, I agree, but I'd like to add something to this. Great. Abby, I think you can make it more your own, mm. this collection. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think you can think about a clever way to display it. Mm-hmm. Um, not just sort of on a shelf, but maybe you find some sort of glass container or plexiglass Um, enclosure where you kind of stack them all in an interesting way Um, inspired by Ai Weiwei you could like dip them all in the same colored paint Mm -hmm. and make it like you've sort of reclaimed the gnomes Um, or
0: inspired by Ai Weiwei, you could photograph yourself dropping the gnomes to yes! a great height. <laughs>
1: yes, and smashing and the then gnomes. And smashing
0: the gnomes on the ground below you and, and just say to your family, listen, I love gnomes. and I need them to keep coming because I'm make, making this art series. Make
1: videos of yes. the gnome smashing. And then if they still give it to you, then you can smash some more.
0: Yeah. You can say, Um, like, this doesn't mean I don't love gnomes. It just means that I've decided that energy being neither created nor destroyed, I've decided to change the form of the gnome.
1: Right. The only other thing I could see is if you don't want to do something so dramatic is if you can somehow state you're trying to find the world's smallest gnome. Mm. (laughs) So at least it doesn't take up a lot of room. Or
0: I'm still really into gnomes, guys. But I like them to be less than one inch tall. That's my ideal. My ideal gnomes. Who
1: can find the tiniest gnome? Is
0: there a microscopic gnome?
1: Or you could try a replacement collection. You know, you could say like oh, I've yeah. graduated yeah, from. Yeah, I'm not into gnomes, gnomes anymore. I'm into, into snow globes now. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I'm a snow globe that's going to present another problem. I was thinking of something <laughs> very small. You know? Oh yeah, like, like I'm uh, out
0: of gnomes and I'm into E. I coli.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know something. What is what's something tiny?
0: <laughs> I like. I, I was like,
1: thinking like paper clips, but that's not fun. Like, um, <laughs> what could it be? I I I think E. coli
0: is a great solution. Just say to everybody, listen, I want one drop of the dirtiest water you can find when you're on vacation.
1: Yeah. So anyway, I think, um, Abby, this is really a wonderful What a great problem. Um, I think think you're going to be fine no matter what. But I do want to see what you might do with your collection to kind of retake it and feel some ownership over it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I. But the, the the main thing here, Abby, is that you have to keep collecting gnomes for the rest of your life. I'm not here to tell people how to live their lives, except in this one case. Well,
1: but it's sort of like you know you can only control the things you can control. Yeah, like if you, this is not something you can control.
0: That's true. All right. <laughs>
1: The cat Uh, is out of the bag. The gnome is out of the bag.
0: Sarah, I've just been reminded that we need to mention our sponsors. Today's podcast is, of course, brought to you by Abby's Gnome Collection. Abby's (laughs) Gnome Collection. It's growing. P.S. Abby, why didn't you include your address so I could send you a gnome?
1: (laughs) Today's podcast is also brought to you by Fresh and A. (sighs) It's delicious, it's inexpensive, and it's perfect for celebrating all of your accomplishments, small and large.
0: Additionally, today's podcast is brought to you by Freshenay. I'm really trying to angle for a proper sponsorship here. Freshenay. I
1: guess I didn't do good enough.
0: You did great. It's crisp. It wins the blind champagne tasting uh, test that we do, like, say, every other New Year's Eve. It wins every year. It beats Dom Perignon. It is the best bubbly available
1: today's podcast is also brought to you by modern art it's not just fresh and new it's actually a finite span of time in which art was created
0: fresh and new is a really good idea for A's new bubbly sparkling canned wine brought to you by sarah and john fresh we new sponsor you <laughs> please please sponsor us we also have a project for awesome message it's from aunt jean to Arthur Tige and Allison Violet. Dear Arthur and Allison, you are just a little bit too young to start listening to this podcast, but I know in no time at all you'll be singing about anglerfish and quarks and counting down to the March launch, and then in a little bit longer you might cry and laugh with Hazel Grace and ask your parents when they're taking you to Amsterdam. Maybe even one day soon you'll cheer for AFC Wimbledon, though neither your moms nor I will know what to do with that since we are more like the athletes of the Quiz Bowl variety. I'm sorry that you were born in a world in which we let the 4.5 star Kauai O-O bird go extinct. I'm sorry you had to learn to walk and talk during such a decidedly one-star plague. I'm sorry our collective efforts to decrease world suck never seem to be enough. I do know that you two will be okay, though. Not just because of your inextinguishable capacity for wonder, or because you'll be lucky enough to see the five-star Halley's Comet cross across the sky in 2061, or even because of the existence of people like the scientists of the Vavilov Institute who protected the seed potatoes to save people they did not know. It's all that. But it's also that you both happen to have undeniably five-star moms. And for that, you are very lucky and you'll never walk alone. Please hug your moms, Catherine and Nora, for me. I love them and you very, very much.
2: Oh, that's so sweet.
0: Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blueland products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water— and you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off.
1: So nice. Gosh,
0: we should really let the people who donate to the Project for Awesome write the entire podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Answers, too?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're much better than we are. All right, Sarah, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and Nancy Wimbledon, I do have one last question for you. Great. It's from Darby, who writes, Dear John and Hank, it's currently 5.03 in this college dorm room in Texas, and I've been listening to your podcast between biochemistry lectures, and I'm wondering something. I know y'all memorize a lot of quotes and song lyrics and keep lists to remember them, and I do as well, but I am particularly interested in Latin. Do you like to learn Latin phrases? One of my central mantras is "Inventas vitam, luvit." I'm really good at pronouncing Latin. (laughs) You did take Latin. I'm known for. I took Latin one three times. (laughs) I took Latin one in ninth grade. I got a C minus. Then I took Latin one in tenth grade, and then I took Latin one in college. Okay,
1: let's try. Give it your best shot, John.
0: Inventas vitam, luvit exculius per artis which translates to let us improve life through science Mm. and art. I thought you would appreciate that. I find that both of you follow this notion beautifully. Uh, Glucogenesis is important for the brain, apparently, Darby. Good job (laughs) studying for biochemistry, Darby.
1: I feel like Darby's going to be a little disappointed, Hanks, not... uh answering this. Will
0: Darby be disappointed that Hank's not answering this, or will Darby be thrilled because two people who fell in love partly through Latin phrases are answering it's it? It's
1: true. So when John and I first started um, becoming friends and exchanging emails, I had this great book of Latin quotes called Amo Amas and More, yeah. Um. And I really found it helpful for figuring out email sign offs. You know, because uh, it get. I mean, it sounds pretentious and a little silly now. It doesn't sound pretentious. Um, I think it's super cute. But it, it would be sort pretentious. Of gave if, it gave yeah. you John the recipient like a little something to look up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Maybe you could figure it out. Yeah. Um.
0: I think it started because we were talking about how we both liked Rushmore. Yes. And there is a line in Rushmore where Max Fisher, the main character, like saves the Latin program at the school. I
1: saved Latin. What What did did you you ever ever do? do? Um, <laughs> sick but he also, transit gloria sick transit
0: gloria glory fades that's like the that's the line that he uses to try to woo this teacher yes um, and sick transit gloria is such a great
1: it is. classic
0: observation there are so many though like I have so many favorite latin phrases I did a whole advertisement for policy genius just on the latin phrases that were on sundials like yeah. um, memento mori is the most famous one like remember that, that you must die but there's also ones that are like it's late than you think yeah <laughs> that's so
1: good yeah yeah um and there's also the ne bastarde Corporatorum esse which is actually that's my latin is also poor really good um but uh it's uh don't let the bastards get you down
0: yeah that's a good one don't let the bastards get that's like that's like new latin you know like oh really? yeah
1: that's it's not pure
0: yeah but it's it's almost better
1: uh there's also ars longa vita breva um, yeah. Art is long, life is short.
0: Yeah, although I, I have an issue with that. One. You do. Yeah, art is also short.
1: I know. In the scheme of things, but it can last longer than life.
0: Yeah, but this like the, the using art as a way of like grasping for immortality feels very it's a little
1: empty very
0: very passe It feels feels a little Picasso-y. Yeah. (laughs) Something feels like late 19th, early 20th century. That's the vibe I get. A little heroic. Slightly patriarchal. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm a big fan of natura non constristator, which means uh, nature is not saddened. Mm. Like, when...
1: Nature don't care. <laughs> yeah,
0: nature is um, nature's good. Nature doesn't care much.
1: I, I think it does. That's
0: though. but that's another one yeah, that feels a little more nineteenth century than it feels now. Because I think, I think, I
1: think nature cares a heck of. Right,
0: right lot now, right nature now. is like I do. Kind of wish you would make me less sad.
1: Yeah. Um, um, oh, oh, and there's of course a more vincit omnia. Love Conquers All, um, which is a little cheesy, yes. Yeah. But um, I think uh, uh, what I like about it is um, the follow-up yeah. that comes after it, yeah. which is...
0: Et nos sadamus amore, and so we shall yield to love.
1: Right, which is the much lovelier part, I think.
0: It's so lovely that it's written on the inside of both of our rings. Yes. All right, Tara, it's time for the all-important news from AFC Wimbledon. As you'll remember, Sarah, AFC Wimbledon have not won a game in uh, April, but they also did not win a game in March or in February or in January. They are the only team in the top four leagues of English football not to have won a game in 2022. They finally, sadly, parted ways with beloved manager Mark Robinson He's an amazing person um, and I, but
1: they just can't keep you if you don't win, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's really sad. I think it's really sad for him. It's really sad for the fans. Nobody's happy about it. It's just
1: and the players liked him too, right?
0: Yeah. and yeah. so it's just a sad situation. I mean it's just so we're, we're now down into 22nd place. We are four points away from safety in 20th place. And even though AFC Wimbledon have managed these sort of like miracle turnarounds year after year after year since being promoted from League Two, Mm -hmm. I have to say that this feels different. Um, I
1: feel like the pain that is felt um, at uh, AFC Wimbledon's um, losing streak needs its own Latin phrase.
0: (laughs) It does. It does. Perhaps some listeners can suggest one. Yeah. It's just... um, it's just been it's just really, right. really hard. There are five games left in the season, and it's hard to imagine how a team that has not won in twenty, say, 22 games is somehow going to win enough games of their final five to survive. I yeah. guess it's possible. Yeah. But it's very hard to imagine. And so this is—it's really sad, man. I mean, I— I I just don't see how we can survive this year. I know we've had these miraculous last-day stay-ups for Mm -hmm. season after season, but this season, it just looks different. And even more devastatingly, while we're talking about devastations, is the fact that the franchise currently plying its trade in Milton Keynes is second in League One and very likely to be promoted up to the uh, second tier of English football. The only upside of that is that we won't have to play them next year, uh, which will be nice because <laughs> oh. uh, it, is, it is awful having to play them. Cold comfort. <laughs> yeah, so that's actually our next game. Um, is, oh, is against God. the franchise currently playing its trade, in, playing its trade, in Milton Keynes at Plow Lane. Uh, uh, their first time back in front of fans playing at Plow Lane against Milton Keynes. Um, but they're in we second. We Still have hope, and we're in twenty seconds. So we'll, I don't.
1: We'll always have hope.
0: Yeah, I mean, we never. We can never beat them because we. It's too important. We have a heart. Yeah, we, you know, and so we have like a beating. heart. Just one. Yes, but they have none. <laughs> they have no hearts. Maybe
1: the phrase is something about a single beating heart. Oh.
0: Um,
1: one heart. How would we say that?
0: I don't know. One heart. <laughs> Zero wins. <laughs> I, never, I, I never I never got the Latin too. I assume that's where you learn that stuff. Yeah. Um, that reminds me, though, of this uh, bus in the, I think, 2000, maybe 10 World Cup where the Brazilian bus had written on the side of it in Portuguese, um, powered by the beating of 93 million Brazilian hearts. Wow. And I was like, that's too much pressure.
1: You can't can't, can't perform. You can't saddle Roberto Firmino with that kind of pressure.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so uh, Wimbledon, it's not good. Mars, is, is, Mars.
1: I don't have anything to share. It's, I'm afraid. It's still is doing there anything? Great. It's still doing
0: great. Mars is up to Mars stuff. You Mars
1: know? don't care.
0: Mars don't care. That's actually <laughs> true.
1: Not it's nature. True. It's true.
0: Nature is not indifferent to our sorrows, but Mars, Mars truly is. is. Thank yes. God that there's something out there yeah. <laughs> that doesn't really care how we're doing.
1: Can we mess up Mars? Probably. Yeah. Well, uh, let's hope. Um, it, it is rumbling
0: currently, rumbling with mysterious Mars quakes that we've uh, we have mm. not previously uh, understood, and there are also more Mars quakes uh, than we understood. Hmm. Uh, and the sort of like best guess is that there is ongoing volcanic activity
1: ah, in Mars, okay. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, in Mars, on, on Mars.
0: Mars? Well, I get, most of it's under the surface, in. so in.
1: Okay. But I don't, that's a gr-
0: prepositions are so inadequate yes. to the problems that we face mm-hmm. as a species. This is one of my high horses that I like to get on. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll talk next week about Mars quakes. Is Hank going to be back? No. No? No, I have one more week without Hank. Is it me? We'll find out next week. <laughs> Thanks for making a pod with me, Sarah.
1: Thanks for having me, John.
0: And thanks to everybody for listening. You can send us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. This podcast is edited by the brilliant Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosian Hoss Rojas. Our head of community and communications is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by The Great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't Don't forget forget to to be be awesome.
1: awesome.